Dr. McDougall, when we talk about starch, <clears throat> are you talking about beans and whole grains? And is there one that you prefer? Is it better to have chickpeas, lentils, white beans, black eyed peas than it is to have quinoa, millet, amaranth, teff, buckwheat, and wild rice? Or are they both the same? That's your question. Dr. Clapper, um, there are so, I got an email right before this conference started from a woman who was very mad at me and said, there's an author who knows more than the authors who were speaking. And he says that the best oils are saturated fats such as coconut oil, ghee, butter, and lard. And I want to know what the best science says about that. And Dr. Espinosa, um, how do you treat prostate cancer if you get it? What works and what doesn't? And what percent of the time? And can you treat it naturally with watchful waiting? So Dr. McDougall, would you start? I think uh, any of the starches are fine. They've supported millions of people in different parts of the world and different times in history. And they've all been successful populations. Uh, I, I would want to add one thing, and that is there's a, a lot of concern about white rice. We don't recommend white rice in our program. We recommend whole grain rice. But I have to tell you, white rice is not a deal breaker. As I mentioned before, there are 2 billion Asians who before 1980, over 90% of their diet was white rice. And they're a very successful population of people. It's, it's not a battle I want to get into with my patients. I would rather deal with the things that really count, which are the two major food poisons, which are animal foods and free oils. And people are starch eaters. They're starchivores, they're starchitarians. Until they figure that out, they won't be in control. Everything will be too complicated. You won't get it right. It's very simple, folks. You eat a traditional diet. I certainly agree with that, especially the last line there. Um, that this man is saying that coconut oil and lard are good for you. Um, this is just, I, I, you know, I'm just gobsmacked. I don't know where to start uh, uh, to, to answer that. Um, the, as I said way earlier in this, uh, that uh, oils, you know, leap into your bloodstream. They, they injure the function of your arteries, of your insulin receptors. Of, they interfere with blood clotting. They make your blood, uh, coconut oil makes your blood more viscous. Lard makes your blood more viscous. It's more likely to clot um, or uh, uh, decrease oxygen delivery. Um, the, 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 he said, uh, you know, it's, uh, really difficult to uh, come up with a rational answer like that. As Dr. McDougall just said, the to toxins are animal products and oils. Well, I, I agree with that. So um, uh, I, I would like him to show me the studies, show me the studies uh, that people who eat uh, half a cup of coconut oil or lard, two pounds of lard a day, whatever it is, uh, follow them along for 20 years, 30 years, and show me that they don't develop artery disease and cancers and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, various other maladies there. Um, it's a silly argument, I think, and that's all I can really say about that. Uh, like Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. But I really am interested in hearing uh, seriously about Dr. Espinosa, because I got a couple of patients non-vegan uh, with uh, prostate cancer, and I like to know how he, he does treat it. And uh, you, sir, you did mention, you, you said, I see lots of vegans with prostate cancer. Really? How many vegans with prostate cancer do, have you seen in this last year? And, uh, and over the course of your practice, is it really a common problem among plant-eating folks? Hold on one second again. John, is there anything we could do to help him? With the, We're getting feedback again. Is there anything on our from, end? We, from me or? I, I from, can't tell. 
John, you with us? Yeah, uh, Dr. Clapper, um, can, I'm, can I bring you to another room for a second? Uh, should I, I'm going to talk really, I hear if I talk right into the microphone, it sounds better. Is that, is that okay? You know, Michael sounds really good from, from what I'm right. listening to. I don't hear any feedback, just okay. if that helps. Uh, okay, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Sounds good? Okay. Sounds good clear enough. to me, Michael. Sounds okay. John, should we continue? Yes, uh, continue, yeah. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, Dr. Clapper, continue. Uh, no, I'm, um, I'm over to Dr. Espinosa. I'd like to know how he treats prostate cancer for real. And, uh, and has he, is prostate cancer in vegans a big problem in as far as in his practice there? Um, I don't know that prostate cancer in vegans is a big problem. I'm saying what I said was that I've seen quite a few vegans with, with prostate cancer maybe is, has nothing to do with the fact that they were vegan, but certainly wasn't pr protective in their case. And, um, and, and these are cases with advanced prostate cancer. So I don't know that I see a lot, but I've seen, what I'm saying is that I've seen vegans with advanced but, prostate cancer. But you don't know how long they were vegan before. Uh, they may just say I'm I, vegan. I, yeah, I, I don't, you know, those yeah. are the details that are likely okay. important that I don't, I won't have in my head. Fair so enough. I'm okay. not. Got it. Um, okay. Watchful waiting. All right. So we'll make this as quickly as possible because that's a whole course. Um. So how do I, so you said watchful waiting. So there's a difference between watchful waiting and active surveillance. They're not the same thing. Watchful waiting means I have prostate cancer, but I'm deciding not to do anything. And if it advances and it progresses and it metastasizes, I will, I will only seek uh, palliative treatment at that point. That's watchful waiting. Active surveillance means I got diagnosed with prostate cancer, but it's very low risk disease. And we think it will not kill you, but we're going to keep a close eye on it with, uh, you know, PSA scans and so forth. In case it progresses, then we're going to intervene and do something medically to it so that we can uh, in the attempt to cure you. Okay, so those are two different things. I don't treat prostate cancer medically at all. I work with, it, with medical doctors that do, and I refer them when I think they need medical treatment. The patients that I see with prostate cancer that do extremely well, regardless of their stage, whether it's stage one or stage four, are more compliant. The more compliant they are, the better they do. Period. End of story. So a lot of it does. Do they need to be perfect? No. But when they're about 80% compliant with the protocol, they tend to do really well, assessed by their PSA, particularly PSA after they've been treated. So let's just say they got a prostatectomy, they got their prostate removed, they get a recurrence, they're ready to go to the next treatment, which is hormone, whatever it is, hormone deprivation therapy or radiation, they don't need it because their PSA is actually very stable at that point. PSA is a controversial biomarker, as we all know, but is very useful for men after they've been diagnosed with prostate cancer and treated before they're diagnosed as a treat, as a screening tool. Um, it's debatable. I think it's still helpful, but it's, um, it's helpful to determine um, just general prostate health and other things like if it's really high, it matters or the velocity if it increases very rapidly, it matters. Um, but just that absolute number 
um, matters less from a prostate cancer perspective. So I just wanted to give that as a side thing. Right. So when you say um, the ones that are compliant do better, compliant with what? With what yeah. program? I'm, I'm setting about? up the stage, Dr. Kapler, okay. to Thank then okay. boom, sure. give it to you all. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, the, I, I think that, um, so in general, um, what I'm trying to do when, so when my medical colleagues, we have mutual patients and then like, Gio, how do you treat prostate cancer? It's amazing. This patient is doing well. I can honestly say that I don't know that I treat prostate cancer, but what I try to do is treat the microenvironment and the terrain in prostate cancer. That's what I think I do. And what that means is you lower chronic inflammation, all these inflammatory markers that contribute to cancer, you stabilize insulin uh, because insulin resistance and it's a problem with prostate cancer. Um, you um, protect against oxidative stress, all the things that it's not just for prostate cancer, but in my case, this is what I do. Um, and you uh, stimulate and, and modulate the immune system because the stronger the immune system, like natural killer cells, the better they do. So that's what sort of what I mean by uh, the microenvironment in, in a more scientific basis. And so the more they do, the better all these things do, including, by the way, LDL. So LDL seems to be a so LDL, which we know is bad cholesterol. Low LDL is actually a good thing for prostate cancer. There's been, there's been correlations there. High react, uh, biomarkers that I look at are things like LDL and C-reactive protein and hemoglobin A1C. These are all things that give me an idea of how the microenvironment is doing. There's a lot of data to support correlation between advanced prostate cancer and all these things. And all these things do well and the patient does well and the quality of life improves. And then prostate cancer becomes an opportunity for them to do better and live better as a result of that diagnosis on average or even above average. The protocol is a, a it's four things. It's diet, um, exercise, sleep, and certain nutraceuticals. And the nutraceuticals are dependent on what stage of prostate cancer they're in. The diet is, well, I think you have an idea what the diet is. It's sort of, I would, I would consider it a combined Mediterranean plant-based diet with emphasis on cruciferous vegetables because they seem to have anti-prostate cancer activity uh, more so than even other vegetables based on research. So your crucifers, a lot of those, I have them eat one or two servings of those a day. Um, let's see, what would be a controversial thing that I would advise for them dietarily that probably um, people would disagree with? I, I don't, I, they get away from, from dairy, so that's a good thing. Um, I, I guess it's as it relates to salmon and oils and nut butters and things like that, which again, the, so the diet is Mediterranean plant-based, don't eat too much and eat clean, get the best source of food you can possibly get from a local farmer's market or local farm or organic or all of the above. That's kind of in a nutshell what it is um, and some intermittent fasting. Exercise includes is four to six hours a week with moderate to high intensity. And in addition to that, more physical activity. So just sitting down for a prolonged period of time, um, we try to get them to get standing desks and things like that. Keep moving, keep moving. Sleep, I try to target, remember, I, a lot of my, although I see patients internationally now, um, but a lot of the ones that I see are still New Yorkers. So there's no such thing as a New Yorker being type A personality. 
they're either type A1 or type A2, but they're all type A, right? So, um, so as a result, they have sleep problems. So I give them sleep um, hygiene. Uh, we spend a lot of, if that's one of their major problems, I give them some sleep hygiene tools and things to do to improve their sleep. Um, I measure it with an aura ring so we can measure their, uh, the quality of their sleep, how much time in REM and things like that. I do in moderate to advanced cases, I do give them melatonin. There's good research on melatonin showing um, decreased risk of not only cancer, prostate cancer, but advanced prostate cancer. Um, so I do give them some melatonin at night. If they have low risk disease, I may not. And uh, the nutraceuticals includes things like melatonin, depending on their situation and other, really the goal to target all these points, uh, anti-inflammatory, oxidative stress prevention, things like that. So a lot of curcumin, um, vitamin D, boswellia, anti-quercetin, anti-inflammatories, and so forth. In a nutshell, that's what it is. And again, they have a cheat day, they all have their cheat day. So I don't, the main thing I teach my patients is do not eat, ever eat anything with guilt. Guilt is more indigestible than any food you eat. Right. So that's the main thing. Now, that being said, let's get on the program. You're going to have one day a week to eat whatever you want. And when they get that one day a week, they don't do too badly because they feel so good. They don't want to mess it up. So so they have one day a week for psychological reasons. So if they go to their kids or grandkids birthday party and they want to have a piece of cake, they have it without guilt. And they're enjoying that food with friends and family, because that's ultimately what it's all about. Food brings people together and you spend more time with those you love. So I never want to lose sight of the bigger picture. This is why when my mother cooks typical Cuban food, and I'm so happy, I think Dr. McDougall and I are going to agree so much on one thing. And that's the fact that white rice is not that bad. Thank God. <laughs> My mother would never want to use brown rice for making her rice and beans. So thank goodness that's the case. I'm happy to hear that. Um, and she's, so she's going to cook what she cooks traditionally, and I am going to eat it and enjoy it because I'm spending good time with family and friends. I think that's very important um, to, to do that if you want to. Look, I've seen many people that go all the way, and whether it's paleo, I'm only going to eat grass-fed meat and blah, blah, blah. And that's it. So they cannot go anywhere because the plate, or they have to bring their own food. And I've seen the vegan do that. And listen, if that makes you happy, you, you know, go for it. I mean, that's great. You have way more discipline than I do, but I, I've seen many people struggle with that. Um, and, and it takes away from the unity and from the camaraderie of getting together through food. So I make sure that I tell them, don't eat anything with guilt on the 80-20 rule. And you have one cheat day. And typically, again, they don't do that poorly anyway. In a nutshell, that's what they do, and patients do absolutely amazing with that approach. Mm -hmm.